Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. Demario Solomon Simmons has stuck around. I appreciate you, sir. Um, I love the the gathering of people that I have in my in my space. You know, I love I love the diversity of thought. You know, diversity to me is not complexion. It's not gender. I feel like this country is getting is upside down. Y'all got it wrong. It's it's people living lives that have something to offer. You know, I like to talk to the the range of people. And so you coming in is really, really nice. And I'm glad we've we've been uh, rocking with each other for a while since Tiffany Crutcher. I think that was the first time you you brought in Terrence Crutcher's uh, twin sister. And I I feel like that was the first time we met. Well, that was the first time we met in person. Yes. We had talked on the phone. I think I've done a a couple of over the phone uh, interviews. But the first time we met in person, it was after the Crutcher shooting, which by the way, tomorrow, shout out to Tiffany, Dr. Crutcher. Tomorrow's her birthday. Would have been her and her twins' birthday, August 16th. Oh. And September 16th will be seven years since Terrence Crutcher was shot with his hands up in the air, walking away from uh, Betty Jo Shelby, which is so crazy that you say that because I'm actually deposing Betty Jo Shelby uh, Friday. For what? You know, still have a, the civil case is still going on. It's been seven years. Oh, wow. Seven wow. years. So for four, see, this is the type of stuff that happens in these civil cases that people don't realize after the headlines go up, you know, go away and we go to the next case. These cases go on for years and years and years. So this, the shooting happened September 16, 2016. Betty Shelby was charged. She went to trial in May of 2017. So when we filed our case, they put it on a stay until after the criminal trial. The criminal trial was over in May of 17. We had a little bit of litigation, and then our case got put on a stay in 2018, 19, and it's been on a stay for four and a half years until this February when a judge, a new judge came on it. He kicked out a huge, a huge part of our case, and we're going to appeal that, but we can't appeal that until we get all the way through trial against Betty Shelby, the actually shooter. So I'm actually deposing her this Friday, uh, August 18th. So that's amazing that you brought that up. Wow. She was uh, acquitted in um, 2007. She was acquitted in 2017. And um, I th- she was in the news recently. Did she get a job somewhere? Um, yeah. I feel like she... Is now well, she a deputy. A, she's a deputy with the Rogers County Sheriff's Department. Well, she, she she's she's left that job now. And Rogers County, just so you know, it's interesting. We're talking about this because this lady shot and mur- killed Terrence with his hands up, walking away. And she she resigned from TPD after her her trial, and then she was hired by the sheriff in Rogers County, which is an adjoining county of Tulsa. So part of Tulsa, the city of Tulsa, is in Rogers County. And he says she's welcome over here. She can come over here and work, and it's wow. no problem. And there was kind of some issues with that. I don't know why she ended up leaving. My understanding is that she is no longer uh, in the state okay, of Oklahoma. Okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm looking now just – but it's just wild, you know, I remember the, the, the person that killed Tamir Rice, you know, it's like they get to go and there's no directory, there's no registry where we the people can look to see where these folk are. Like there should be a registry of people who shot black people who are unarmed. We, I That's need right. to know, or shot anybody for that matter, because to me, yeah. you know, any human being is worthy of life, period. You know, and if you're unarmed, you deserve to go to trial. 
you know, if you are a criminal, you deserve to have due process and not be killed and executed in the streets like a dog. You should not, right. you know, especially if you're unarmed, which means you're not a threat because the police are supposed to be trained to take care of people. So you don't have to shoot somebody with ketamine because they are different. If they don't have a weapon and you're not in, in threat of your life or you mad because they made you run. So you beat them to death. Like all of those folk, you know, there should be a registry. They should never work again as a police officer, period. Oh, you know what, Damari, I'm glad you stuck around because we, we're going to get to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. But yesterday I talked about these these six Cretans um, who uh, tortured, they tortured two black men. Did you did you see this case? I did. Oh, my goodness. So there's actual, um, there was like some, some audio that was, you know, reporting on it. And uh, so I wanted to play it because I don't think I gave it justice. Um even though these these officers, these ex-officers pled guilty to torturing, they pled guilty only because they know, right? They know this is Mississippi. Mississippi. Okay, let's play the clips, Ms. Moments ago, six former Mississippi police officers had back in court. They've already pleaded guilty to federal charges of torturing two black men. Well, now they are staring down state charges. Prosecutors say the suspects all of whom are white, called themselves the goon squad because of the excessive force that they've used. Okay, this has been heart-wrenching for those victims. They, for quite some time, have been trying to get anyone to listen to them about what they experienced on that night. Two, hour, two hours of torture. When you think about having oil spilled on your body, eggs thrown at you while you recall the N-word over and over, for quite some time, these men were trying to get someone to pay attention. Now, look, this is the first time we've actually seen these men in court because that first case was a federal trial. And as you know, can't get cameras in there. But this is a state court case. They call themselves the Goon Squad, and it was their job to go out and dispense justice the way they wanted to. In fact, at one point, they even tried to sexually assault these men, and they used their tasers over and over again to see who had the most powerful taser. I crawled here to this spot, and they, uh, they uh, started uh, beating me here and tasing me. As you can see, you know, blood spots and all. My blood spots there. Yeah, that was Eddie Parker and Michael Jenkins. When you think about Michael Jenkins, at one point, one of these officers who was admitted to this took out a gun and they believed they had cleared the gun. They put it in his mouth and they pulled the trigger. He cleared the gun again and put it back in his mouth and pulled the trigger. At that point, it shot through his tongue and exited his neck. That's why he has trouble talking to this day. He'll be dealing with this for the rest of his life. I hadn't heard that when I was talking about it yesterday. And um, all I'm thinking about is you're, you're minding your business. And these six brutes, because they're big, burly, Jethro-looking mother freakers, bust through your door. And instead of arresting you, you know, for whatever crime you suppose, which we don't even know that there was a crime, for two hours... And I'm, I'm thinking about Emmett Till, who was also tortured in that barn for hours. Six of them. T I don't know how you tase somebody till they bleed, but there's blood droplets from the taser, right? You put a gun yeah. in the man's mouth and you pull the trigger because you hadn't emptied the clip and you shoot him in his mouth. They tried to sexually assault, and I think of Abner Lewemer, right? And so there's a pathology Demario, there's a pathology here 
that permeates police departments because Abner Louima was in New York, right? With the mop or whatever, the plunger that Justin Volpe and four, there were four officers in that case. Three of them got it. They, they, you know, they just sent Volpe away as if the other three, somebody held him down. It's a grown man. No grown man is going to sit still while you stick something in his rectum and rupture his intestines. No one's going to sit still for that. He had to be held down, but everybody walked except for Justin Volpe, right? And his dad said to me, if he had just killed him, he would have been out because, you know, dead men tell no tales. His father's a former officer. There's something in this policing, which is why I don't think it can be fixed. I think it's been broken from the beginning, this criminal justice system of ours. And it's because it was founded and rooted in the policing or the, the not just the policing of black bodies, the, the willful um, subjugation of black bodies. It's like they want black bodies to heal, to, 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 sub, you know, to submit, right? It's not just about justice and arrest and crime. It's a submission. And the fact that they were going to rape this man I'm just like. It's not even, I'm going to say it's, it's not even just a submission of our bodies. They want to submit our souls. They want to capture our entire being. And that's what the whole institution of slavery is about. And that's why this cannot be fixed, Karen. It cannot be reformed. There has to be a complete start over because the very foundation of this country is the violence and the, and the genocide of Black. And, and indigenous people, which a lot of the indigenous people will look like you and I also. And so when we hear our political leaders say stuff like, like they will hear a story like this and say, this is so un-American. That's not true. This is as American as it becomes, because this is what America is built upon, particularly the police departments, which are based upon the brutalization and to keep enslaved Africans and indigenous people in line. And it makes me think about, because I get real angry when I hear that type of what happened, because I have to deal with it every day in my, my law practice. Um, it makes me think about Nellie Fuller, Dr. Nellie Fuller, one of my very famous favorite quotes, that if you don't understand uh, racism, everything else will confuse you. Yeah. But with, yeah. Because we do understand racism and we do know our history, we know this happens all the time. And it's a benefit and a blessing that the DOJ, uh, shout out to Christian Clark, you know, I've been on her real hard about opening an investigation of the massacre, but I give her credit uh, and the Justice Department of Justice for prosecuting this case. I hope these people get the maximum amount of punishment, both. Well, I just hope they get the maximum amount of punishment. I'll leave it at that. I mean, but this is willful, right? And they, they call themselves the goon squads, much like the folk that killed uh, Abner, not, not Abner Weimer, um in the vestibule in the Bronx. Oh, my goodness. 13, 19 shots. They call they, John they Bell. Said, no, no, uh, not Sean Bell. That was <laughs> that was another one. That was fifty shots. Um, the first one, um, Diallo. I'm gonna do Diallo. Uh, oh, we own the, the night. The... Those cops said we own the night, right? They had a whole task force, right? There was the the task force that um killed our brother recently, who was blocks away from his mother's home. They had a name for themselves, right? Like yeah. it's it's these In things. Memphis, the red, like the blue dogs, or red, the red dog. Here's the deal, too, Karen. Those individuals need to be be convicted, but the whole police department—they know this is going on. Yeah, yeah, they know about this. I got six, a buddy. Six of, listen, listen to Mario. They they said on the evening of January twenty fourth, three sheriff's de- deputies, um, you know, they had pulled this brother over supposedly for drugs again, not armed, and they t- they they were in a group text together, and the group text said, "Are y'all available for a mission? Are y'all available for a mission?" 
Instead of knocking on the door, they kicked the door down. Surveillance cameras show that. So thank God for surveillance cameras, right? Because it would have been a situation where, you know, my word against theirs. Traffic cop, you know, you go to court, you know that the judge is never going to side with you even if the cop is lying, right? So it's the same, right, in, in this system because it's all a conspiracy. The prosecutors need the police officers, so they're in, in cahoots. The judges, you know, like everybody's kind of in on it. And it's just crazy. So they pull into the driveway of a four-bedroom ranch-style home. Seems like a, a, a decent neighborhood. Did they tor- torture these guys in for two hours? This is The more I'm looking at this case and listening to that, that audio today really, really triggered me. And I, I don't need to be triggered. But um, yeah. like, I don't need and the audio. Listen to the audio is why, and I know you talked about this a lot just last week. This is why so many people were happy to see the Montgomery uh, uh, brawl. Because we, we, we hear and see about ourselves being brutalized on a daily basis, and these things happen. And they want to project upon us who they are, the violence that they have in their heart, the, the, the way they want to do things. Because if we were a tenth of violent as they try to project, every day there would be problems in this country, like it was Tal- uh, Afghanistan or something like that. The majority, the overwhelming majority, that 95% of black people living their lives, trying to make ends meet, raise their children, have a decent place to live. And yet these same folks who've been tormenting us for over 450 years, almost 500 years, are still doing it. And it's it's getting worse. And then one thing I want to say, Karen, about the, the Montgomery situation, I know why we felt people felt really good about that, but it's going to be a backlash. We need to be prepared for that. Yeah, I because um, you know, white people watch that also, and they already are fetishizing about guns. They're already fetishizing about shooting us. So I just I want to warn our people to be careful and understand um, that it could be different next time um, that people have guns, because that's that's something that they, they pray by them. They live by. They love guns in a way that we can't even understand. And I'm a gun owner, just to be clear. I'm here in Oklahoma. I mean, we, we, we have the right. This has never been about people's right to bear arms or taking right. away people's right to bear arms. This has always been about this kind of militia mentality that, and, and more importantly, you know, the Ahmad Arbery's of the world, you know, like we don't have the right to be in places, you know. They, Policing black bodies. Yeah, all the time. So they turned off their body cams, handcuffed these two men, Michael Jenkins and, and Eddie Parker. They kicked them, waterboard them, tased them, punched them, shot them, called them the N-word repeatedly. I mean, you just, and I know they probably thought they were going to die. Like even on, for what? We We talk about RICO charges. There's no way in a small community in Mississippi that there are other people that knew this was happening that were a part of this conspiracy, who knew these text messages was going on, and they have an affirmative duty under the Constitution to stop this type of activity. If they didn't do it, I would like to see those individuals investigated, those individuals actually charged, because those are the things that would really be a deterrent. That's why the charges against Trump to go back there is, is a real de- it's, that's a big deal because there's so many other people involved in a conspiracy. So now you got to really be thinking about, okay, do I do I care that much? That I want to I want to be a part of this, or do I do I do I want to do the right thing and say, no, you guys, you got to shut this down, or I'm gonna have to drop a dime on you because that's my that's my duty as an officer. 
That's my duty as an elected official. You can't tell me this small town in Mississippi, people didn't know that the, what they call themselves, the goon squad, have been doing this for years. You can't tell me that. I know how policing works. Of course here they've been doing it for years. It didn't, it didn't just happen. And, you know, it got good to them because they, they, they didn't think they could get caught. To do yeah. all of that and not think that you, you're going to face any justice whatsoever, I just watched this horrible um, film that was recommended to me by one of our listeners who was tortured through it and wanted to torture me too, I guess. So, no, they wanted my opinion. So I'm not, I'm not going to uh, weigh in because I, I get it. I know why you wanted me to watch it, but it was, ooh, we soft and what was it called? So, oh my goodness. I'm, I'm trying to black out on the, uh, on the actual soft, soft and quiet. Yes. On Netflix. I saw you post that. Like who told me to watch this? Yo, I, but when you think about the pathology of somebody that would do these horrific things, you know that they it's in them to do it. It's yeah. not like, oh, I can't I can't believe we're doing this. <laughs> it's like, oh, we doing this. OK, let's cover it up. <laughs> let's figure out how we go. Get out of it, you know, because we're going to get out of it. You know, just got to do away the bodies. You know, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is so crazy to me. They didn't even try to hide the bodies. They're like, all right, we did that and we're going to walk on off. Unbelievable. Yep. Let the ambulance deal with it. 866-801-8255. If George Floyd had lived and there was no film of that, we wouldn't even know his name. And he still would have been tortured. Yeah. I mean, the thing that makes George Floyd unique is not that he was brutalized and uh, just savagely killed by a police officer that happens every day around this country. It was one, that there was a pandemic, so the whole world was at home. And two, it did last for nine minutes and people got to see that. And they were still enough that they really heard that. They really heard that man cry for his mother. They really saw his life go out of his body. Like we watched that. And that is what made that unique and in that time. But this happens all over the place. Karen, as you know, I've represented several victims of police violence. I mean, my client, Joshua Harvey, was tased 27 times to death. I've had Terrence Crutcher- 27 times? 27 times to death. I mean, it was just a, it was a, it was a, a torture. They tortured him, and he died. He had a cardiac arrest. Um, my client Monroe Bird, who was shot in the back as he was driving away, paralyzed from the neck down at six foot eight, twenty one years old. And then his insurance company, his parents' insurance company, they work for a, a ultra rich law, uh, uh, golf course here, and they refused to pay his medical bills because our DA didn't, didn't charge the white shooter who had weed in his system and on his body at the time of shooting Monroe. So the medical uh, insurance said, hey, we don't know who was at fault. So he didn't get any medical care. He had to go and live in the living room of his of his mother and he died within a month, paralyzed from the neck down. I could go on and on and on. These things happen every single day here in America. 866-801-8255. Um, Neely Fuller. If you don't understand racism and white supremacy, everything that you think you understand will only confuse you. Man, that you people, everybody that's listening, you need to commit this that quote to your memory. And and you need to make sure your children, your grandchildren understand it, particularly people our age, Karen. I, I don't know how you are. I know you're much younger than me, but I'm 47 years old, almost 50 I'm years much, old. I'm much older than you, actually. Oh, I just, I just drink water and mind my business sometimes. <laughs> Well, uh, you look fantastic. Thank but, you know, our parents and grandparents, we're, we're, we're connected to that history in a way that's very personal. Like my grandmother was a sharecropper. OK, you know, my, 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 my parents lived through segregation and Jim Crow and had to go to the back of the bus. And so we need to make sure that we are explaining this to our younger 
generations who understand. That's the only that's the only saving grace or the good thing about the whole Trump era. It made it very clear that things are not what they they appeared to be uh, under the Obama administration. They've made it very clear what this country is really about. The anti-CRT, BS, all that's making it very clear. But I still don't know if our children and our young folks really understand what we're up against. This is a war for our very survival. They want to capture our souls, our money, and our lives. And that's what is happening here across this country on all platforms. Amen. Um, an unfortunate amen. 866-801-8255. Demario Solomon Simmons is here. I want to take a call, and then we're going to talk about the Oklahoma Supreme Court. It's like a teaser. Uh, Christine is in New Jersey. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi. Hi, Karen. Um, I just, i just so excited to talk to you again. I missed your show before COVID. It's so fantastic. I can't even believe it got better. I didn't think it was possible, but I just wanted to say that. And then I also wanted to say um, what your thoughts were about the drug testing for the police. Because I know the police, like in my small, very white town, I went to high school with them. They were tiny little things, nice. Now they're gigantic and have no personality. You could hardly talk to them. They just seem like different people, the police officers, the ones by me at least. So I just wondered what you thought of that. And the show is fabulous. Thank you. I appreciate you, Christine. You know what? better go ahead jersey in the house appreciate it um and i agree with you that the show has gotten better during the pandemic which is unusual um and it's only because i'm able to connect with so many people that i could only connect with if they were in the studio you know if you weren't in if you were in new york it was the only time you could really be on the show and we were grabbing folk out the hallway and you know the phone is sketchy but this zoom this zoom no i'm writing demario's um i'm writing his office right now with his pictures and stuff and his football helmets and his like, I'm right there. I could touch him. See what in your facial expressions and being able to see when people are uncomfortable or whether they, you know, whether they need some grilling, this zoom was a game changer um, in a way that I couldn't even imagine. I mean, I've talked to people from across the pond during this time. I've had elders in Nikki Giovanni and um, Mary, uh, I mean, Mary Berry. And I mean, it's just been like amazing. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Tanya was in Egypt and the Sudan. Tanya Pinkins came to came on the show like every week in Panama and from and from the Sudan, like in a tent. She did the show in a tent in Sudan. I was like, okay, you know, like this is this is. I mean, we did in class with Car in Aswan on Saturday. Yeah, like, I saw on Saturday. On Saturday, he's crazy. over in Egypt, and was, was, I saw that. Yeah, Listen so to that. yeah, so I, I'm I'm not grateful for the pandemic, but I'm grateful for the pivot you know, and the ability to be able to. It just shows you what the difference of a mind state change is. I mean, when you, none of us could even imagine it. Like I have employees now. I have an employee in Portland, Oregon. I have an employee in New York. I have an employee in Boston, Massachusetts that was in Denver. I couldn't even conceive that before the pandemic to be doing the work that we're doing all these different places. So it just shows you when you change a mind state, so much is available to you. And that's just a real, a real concrete example. And we should use that in our everyday life. So many times we're so stuck in, in what we believe and what we what we what we learn in our environment that we think it has to always be this way. And COVID, that was a positive COVID. It really showed us that things things can be different and they can be better in, in being different. Facts. Um and, and just being nimble enough to, you know figure out how we how we we're going to have these conversations um 866-801-8255 these difficult conversations and it is difficult to to not 
treat people the way they treat you. It is difficult to not wish harm from people who have harmed your 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 ancestors and your family members, you know, over the years. It is really, it, it's work, right? It's work. Someone accused me of being, you know, uh, you know, weak because I'm not for violence. You should be for violence. I'm not for violence. I don't know if anyone should be for violence. To your point, there's always going to be a consequence to violence, right? The fact that nobody got hurt uh, seriously in Alabama is a testament to the fact that people didn't come there with the intent to hurt. They came there except for the people who started it and then they found out. But you know, the folk that skipped to Malou and threw up the hats and the, and the chairs, they, they were there to regulate, which is a completely different, you know, uh, cause a chair is still a chair, you know, even mm-hmm. if there's no one sitting there, but they didn't come with knives, guns, bats, you know what I'm saying? They didn't right. come to string people up and just, it was not a violent right. thing. That's a different kind of, you know, self-defense is everything. you got to defend well, yourself. You know, Malcolm X, I think the quote is uh, of defending yourself. Self-defense is not violence, it's intelligence. I think that's the paraphrase, the quote. Yes. So, yeah, that's, yeah. That's a, that is a difference, no question about it. Now, Karen, we, we have to keep it real because this is the Karen Hunter show. Most of those people could not fight whites and the blacks. That's the Montgomery deal because nobody's face looked like they had been beat up. Okay. Now, look, so what you brother, saying? What you saying? You got hands, Demario? Demario? No, I, hey, okay. Hey, no, huh? I, no, I'm not saying that. But I know what it means to be pummeled and pummel somebody. Now that young brother that jumped in the, the water. I was gonna say the 16 year old body slam. That jumped in the water. Now he was he he, he put he has work. he had work for he people. Put some work in. And I feel like <laughs> this kid, the the three men that skipped to the boat, I feel like they had some work too. And and actually, old man, the the captain. He had work. He had work. He had to take on like six people till help yeah. came. Like he, yeah, yeah. He so yeah, he, got, he was he was yeah. holding his own. The fact that he's he not, home, he, bru- you know, bruised up says that you know. I mean, when you look at everybody's mugshot, nobody has like you know what you would think based on all of the punches that were thrown, all the kids. Right. And I think that goes back to what you were saying. People were there to have a good time. They were on a boat cruise. People were just chilling. But those white people were there to disrespect. And of course, Trump had been there the day before. So again, oh. he roused them up. Did you know that? I didn't Trump, know that. I did not. Trump rallied the day before in Montgomery. Yeah, so he roused them up. He gives them that extra courage. And then they want to outnumber them. And that's one of the things that we have to always be careful when we're dealing with, with, with them. Because if they have more numbers, they have a lot more courage. And we see that. Well, that's a, that's a mob mentality. And that goes across the board. Mob, mobs across the board are are the tools of the cowardice, you know. Like if you if you can only do the thing when there's people around you, that's what you know. I really respect a person that's gonna stand up for themselves in the face of like by themselves. You know, it's real easy to be mouthing off when you got ten people behind you. You know, it's real easy to be a tough person when you have to like right. to to be grounded in yourself by yourself and be like, okay, I'm gonna stand. That man had a lot of courage because he was, you know, you you kind of he's from Alabama. You know, white people don't want to be told what to do in Alabama so-called white people yeah. who identify as being white in Alabama, the fact right. that he had to use his authority as the captain of that ship to tell them to move their boat, but he took 40 minutes doing it. It wasn't like he right. was even rude right. and belligerent, right? He so again, so, so Karen, again, that's a great point. It's just like the double standard we're saying about Fannie Willis when she told Trump, you better turn yourself in next Friday, August 25th. Like, <laughs> ooh, that's tough. The brother was giving them all type of grace, 40 minutes, because they were white. He was in Alabama. He understands the, the the how things work down there. So he had to give them additional grace, and they still was like, "Inward, whatever. We're yeah. gonna do what we want to do." Period. Yep. 
866-801-8255. So what's happening with the uh, Oklahoma Supreme Court? What's going on, Demario Solomon right. Simmons? Cool, 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 cool. I'm, 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 I'm real pumped to say I got to do a little backstory. Karen, as you know, for three years, we've been fighting to get justice for the last three living survivors. We've already talked about them. 109, Viola Ford Fletcher. 108, Leslie Benefield Randall, who'll be 109 on November 10th. And 102-year-old, my man, Hughes Van Ellis, Uncle Red. You know we had our case dismissed out of the trial court on July 7th. And we were devastated by that. We didn't see that coming. We thought it was unfair, unfounded, and unjust. Well, we had to file our Supreme Court our appeal to the Oklahoma Supreme Court. And in Oklahoma, every case is filed to the Oklahoma Supreme Court on appeal. But 99% of the cases are then kicked down to what we call the Oklahoma Civil uh, Civil um, Oklahoma Civil Appeals Court. We were hoping and praying and asking the Supreme Court to retain our case, keep our case because our survivors are so old, the issue is so important, and we need an uh, answer so quickly. And I'm happy to report on the Karen Hunnisole first, first time publicly that the Oklahoma Supreme Court accepted our case. They kept our case. That was one of three major hurdles that we have to overcome. We've done that. We are excited. The, the survivors are so grateful. We're thankful to Oklahoma Supreme Court that they saw the impact of this case, saw the importance of this case. And Karen, all we're asking them to do, we're not asking them to provide us a remedy. We're not asking them to provide us an actual award. We're only asking them to give us the opportunity to go to court. Give us the opportunity to prove our case so we can show the world in court with evidence what happened during the massacre, how it continues to this day, has a public nuisance, and what it takes to abate it. So as of today, we will be within the Supreme Court. They will decide our case, and that is a huge victory for our clients, for our community, and for our entire country that is pushing for justice for Greenwood because justice for Greenwood is justice for the entire community. Because if you cannot get justice for the largest race massacre in the history of this country, 40 blocks burnt to the ground, 12,000 people impacted, up to 3,000 people disappeared, never heard from again. Confirmed 8,000 people homeless up to a year and a half. 1,550 homes plus burnt down to the ground. Most never rebuilt. $200 million in property damage alone. Not, don't even talk about the loss of life, income, and wealth. 102 years of not, no accountability. If, if We have video. We have pictures. We have hundreds of insurance claims. We have three living survivors. If we cannot get justice for that, then all of us are at risk, because that means no black person's life has rights that a white man is bound to respect going back to 1857, the Dred Scott case with Judge Taney. That's what we're talking about here, Karen. That's what the Tulsa Race Massacre Public Nuisance Litigation is about. That's what Justice Greenwood is about. That's what we're talking about today about the Oklahoma Supreme Court, giving us an opportunity to get in court Improve our case. When is the case going to be heard? That we don't know. So we have okay. no So time they just to... said we will hear it, but they're not right. even setting a date. This could be a year from now. It could be. It could be. You know, they didn't How have do we, to give do we, us a Can date. we put pressure? Like, what can we do, DeMario? They have, you know, they have no guidelines. There's nothing in the law that requires them to act anytime beyond what they want to do. There's no like, oh, you got to have a decision within a year. But what we've done, we have made it very clear in our pleadings, our filings, 
the seriousness of this issue, the time of the essence, the age of our clients. And we feel good that they at least understood that for them to keep the case. Now we're asking them to move to a resolution as quick as possible. Every day that goes by is a blessing, but also it's mm -hmm. a scary moment for me. Every morning when I wake up and think about these people who are all over 100 years old, the last survivors, we want them to see justice in their lifetime. We want them to leave this earth knowing that someone was held accountable, that the court system in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the United States of America said, we see you. We saw what happened to you. We know it was wrong. This is not about money. This is about accountability. This is about respect. This is about human rights. This is about, do we have a judicial system that will give the same rights to black people that they give to everyone else? Are we first-class citizens or are we not? Right, right. Yes, yes. Well, we don't have to beg for that though, but I, I'm I'm here and give us the marching orders, Demario. You know, we're going to activate 866-801-8255. Demario Solomon Simmons is here fighting for justice for Greenwood, justice, F-O-R, Greenwood, hashtag justice, F-O-R, Greenwood for Tulsa, Oklahoma. Let's uh, take a call. Lawrence is in Kansas. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Hi, Lawrence. Hi. I've been trying to get hold of you for, for quite a while. I kept, I'm traveling, so signals on and off. Okay. But I've been listening to your shows, and I'm really uh, glad that we have been able to get to uh, – program called urban view i i find it it's important that people get to communicate and what i'd like to tell everybody is that this government was formed by men that were looking after themselves their life their liberty their pursuit of happiness they had nobody else in mind to get rich to get wealthy they kidnapped people they brought them over here, put them in bondage and slavery to make themselves wealthy. That was based on a crime. That's the root of this government was based on a crime. You're not going to get goodness out of a crime. You're wasting time. The only thing that worked with this is what you do with a child. You spare the rod, you spoil a child. And we're all known as child children of God. God God is the father. We're the children. If you don't correct these people, they're not going to get corrected. Okay, so Lawrence, what does correction look like for you? What do you think this means? You've got to fight for your life. You've got to fight. Okay. I, I don't disagree with the fighting part. You know, at some point, though, I also feel like, you know, it wasn't founded on a crime because they made the laws. And they keep making the laws, right? Which is why we have to show up locally to make sure that we make the laws, right? I think we abdicate lawmaking to people, especially where it starts locally, those federal judges, I mean, excuse me, those local judges, those local, those state attorneys, those, you know, we don't vote in those elections, those school board elections, we don't really vote. We don't show up in the numbers that we should show up for, right? And the legislators, the aldermans, we don't show up in the numbers that we should. So other people determine, you look at Ferguson where Mike Brown was killed, the majority of the legislators there were white and it's a majority black city. Right. And you, and you think about how upside down that is, and that's all us showing up. So even though the well, framers Karen, of the constitution, hold on, we're not, we're not uh, honorable men in the sense that they, they knew the truth about human beings. They knew the truth about all this and they, and it was very willful. Yes. It was all about power. 
It was all about power for them. But they wrote a constitution and then codified it, right? So we have the responsibility to hold everyone accountable to those words and not let people, you know, cherry pick. But all of it, all of it. Um, and yeah, fight, definitely. Demario, you want you want to say something? I'm just going to say about the voting, we definitely want to show up and do our part. But we cannot discount the impact of gerrymandering in these local and statewide elections. You have many states, particularly in the South, where there should be much more uh, black power, black people in power, and even nine, uh, you know, right, racist, MAGA Republicans. But they've they've gerrymandered. How did they gerrymander? They gerrymandered. They got in office and with a plan, with a game plan, right? They got elected with a plan. But think about a state like Oklahoma, where it's, okay, Oklahoma is 7% black, and most of the black people live here in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. But we have 77 counties, and we have 101 House representatives, 48 senators. Most of our senators and, and, and House of Representatives are coming outside of the urban areas. They're coming from these rural, mostly white locations. So you have no, you have no ability uh, to impact that. And so when they come together... And they're more concerned, again, go back to Nellie Fuller. They're more concerned about hurting the black population centers than making sure their own children have access to health care. Therefore, they don't accept Medicaid. They're, they're more worried about hurting their own children's education to shut down their own schools just to make sure we don't get the schools we need in the, in the black and brown communities. And, and it's so the, the gerrymandering is something that the federal government has to do more on to break up because... We, we could be locked into this for the next 30, 40 years where you have a minority government that's running everything. And so one thing that Europeans historically has shown us over the last 500 years of Western-dominated colonialism, they have no problem being in a numerical minority and still being in power. You know, so people want to talk about, oh, the country's browning, there's going to be more Black people than white. They don't care about that. South Africa is 90% Black, and they didn't care about that. And any right. other colonies around the world so some of these structural things that are in place we can we can rally we can we can litigate we can vote but some of these things have to come from on high from the federal government to change some of the structural issues that that are just kind of frozen in place right now and i'm going to offer you this with all that being true 1920 tulsa oklahoma was governed ruled federally locally etc by a predominant predominantly white racist group of people greenwood figured out how to be self-sufficient greenwood figured out how to not need the federal local state you know they they figured it out which was the source of the ire and the angst and the jealousy right because they figured we don't need you 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 got to come in here if you want some goodness you want some good food you want to rest we have how many how many schools how many doctors lawyers how many hotels how many movie houses they had everything right you know you know what the formula was Here's the formula for Greenwood. Number one, land ownership. Number two was freedom mind state. Number three was economic and uh, wealth concentration. And number four was cooperative economics. And that fourth one is what people always get misconstrued because they always want to use Greenwood to talk about Black Wall Street and capitalism and making all this money. It was not a capitalism. was not what it was built upon. It was cooperative economics. It was community. It was that they were working together for the benefit of each other and with those other three principles. People came, there were already black people here, black Native Americans. We talked about that before. Yeah, I am one of Because you were one of them, yeah. They're already here. And that brought in black people from all around the nation coming here with a freedom mind state, opportunity to own land, 
concentrate their wealth and innovation, and then have cooperative economics. Those are the four principles that built the greatest community and black community in the history of this country. And it can be done again. It can be. What what we have done, we can do. So we going. And to one it. other thing, one other thing, Karen, and what? this is what this young brother showed us when he swam from that boat to help that captain that was being jumped on. You had a, a community that was willing to sacrifice everything to protect itself because the richest men in Greenwood, some of the richest black men in America, multimillionaires, people like J.B. Stratford, the owner of the Stratford Hotel, the largest hotel in America for black people, they went downtown and stood up to a mob of 2,000 whites, about 100 black men, to save the life of Dick Rowland. Now, ultimately, we lost that race war, but they saved the life of Dick Rowland. They put it all on the line because they said, Dick Rowland, you may think he's a nobody. He's a 19-year-old, what they call a boot black. He shines shoes for white people. You may think he's a nobody, but he's one of us, so he's a somebody, and we love our community. That's what it's going to take for us to get to where we want to go as a people. Amen. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Demario, first of all, keep us posted, which you will. You always do, uh, because they deserve justice, but we deserve to see the justice serve. And you've been working tirelessly. So justice for F-O-R Greenwood, justiceforgreenwood.org to find out everything. Demario Solomon Simmons, attorney Demario on the Twitters and SolomonSimmons.com is where you can reach him. Thanks for coming through. Man, Karen, you know I love you. It's always good to see you. I can't wait to be back in New York and stop by. Yes. Open seat, bruh. Open seat. Hey, this is Karen Hunter. You can listen to The Karen Hunter Show live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.